This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, before anything happened, I was already lumping Whitley and Dylan together. I mean, I just frequently would say to Todd, I mean, they're just leeching. They're like leeches on Christian. And they're just, you know, he's working, working, working. And neither one of them were working. And then it just became a thing of when he was on the boat, Dylan was at the apartment all the time. And of course, Christian kind of had blinders when it came to Whitley to some degree. It was almost like they were partners in crime, Whitley and Dylan. You know, it was like they were planning. And I mean, I'm not even referring to what happened to Christian, but just like, I don't know, like double teaming him or something. I just didn't like it. When Christian was living here, it didn't bother me as much because he wasn't supporting them. But when you're going out to eat, because now you're eating every meal out because you're not here and you're paying for everybody for, you know, three meals a day or whatever, I mean, I just feel like that's taking advantage. And you, as if you're really my friend, you're not going to do that to me. And knowing that he's off working all the time and then you come home and, oh, well, let's go out and let's see him, but you're going to pay, you know, everything. The whole reason why he went and picked up Christian in New Orleans was because he had wrecked Christian's truck. And so Christian, he, he of course, Christian paid for the damage. I mean, it was just kind of one thing after another. Christian was always paying, you know, paying for something. And I guess just that mother and me, I didn't like it. I didn't like him being taken advantage of, you know. Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. We know that Christian his girlfriend Whitley, and his friend Dylan were all in the apartment on February 26, 2014, the day Christian died. But on February 22nd, just a few days before, Christian left Meridian and boarded his tugboat for a 30-day hitch, meaning he shouldn't have even been at the apartment on the 26th. His brother Josh was also on a 30-day hitch. His started on the 7th. In the month of February, Christian had several conversations with Josh regarding his relationship with Whitley, the last of those being a text conversation that spanned from February 24th into February 25th, 
the day before. Christian and Whitley's relationship towards the end wasn't, didn't really seem that great. Being in my perspective, looking at it from, you know, brother and roommate standpoint, it seemed fine when Christian was home. And then once he would go back off to the boat is when it would start to go downhill. Once they moved in with me, everything was, seemed all right. The first, you know, when they, the first two weeks they were there, then he went out, it was fine, and he came back. And then I guess after the second trip out, after they had moved in, is when every time he would come back, they would just stay at the house. And they just wouldn't do anything. At that point, like back then, I just figured they didn't want to do anything. You know, they wanted, when he came home, he wanted to relax, chill out. But now I can see it was, Willie didn't want to go out. Christian did want to go out and hang out with his friends and just ended up doing what she wanted to do, which caused a lot of strain. I mean, as we know now, of course, when Christian went back off the boat, Willie would be in and out, you know, with, I mean, I never really knew who she was hanging out with. I think the last two trips he was out, the last one, he had me drug test her and he wanted me to kick her out if she failed. I remember being on the phone with him, you know, waiting for her to get home because she was out with somebody, I, I can't remember who. I remember being on the phone with him when she came in and I got off the phone with him and he wanted me to just walk up to her and give her the drug test, not tell her anything, make her take it. So that's what I did. Walked up to her, tried to give her the drug test. She refused to take it. She just went ahead and admitted that she'd fell for, I think, benzos and marijuana. So, didn't take the drug test. I let him know. He wanted me to kick her out. Packed up all her shit. And, of course, like usual, every other time that he tried to kick her out, she'd call him or, you know, send him a mess, some long message and try and smooth it over. And somehow it always worked you know, make all the promises that she would normally make. She's not going to do it again. She's going to do better and just not going to hang out with people that peer pressure her into doing drugs or whatever else she would tell them. Once I went out on the boat and nobody was really there to watch Whitley and keep tabs on her is where it kind of started to fall apart because then she could have whoever she wanted in, in the house. I think she was 17 at the time, you know, 17 years old has basically her own apartment and can do whatever she wants, no rules. And uh, that she was basically just using him for that. I mean, she didn't have to have a job because he was supplying everything. We were paying the rent. We were paying all the utilities. All she had to do was take the money that we sent her and pay rent and go to the power company and pay the power. That's it. Everything else was drafted. me and Christian texting on the 24th and I told him to break up with her because she's just playing house he had uh, started sending me messages about moving to Jackson or just I mean he had found a place in Jackson that he liked but just moving anywhere he was pretty dead set on breaking up with Whitley and and getting out of here just, just to get out of this town I guess and you know have 
new faces, new new places to see, and not have to worry about, you know, I guess seeing anybody that he knew here that would, I guess, bring Whitley around or anybody else. We'd even talked about just not getting washer and dryer for the apartment just because we would have to move it and leaving all of the furniture and just buying new stuff. He, he was pretty dead set on getting out. He had every intention of breaking up with her and, and leaving Meridian. As mentioned before, Christian had just started a 30-day hitch. And even in case of emergency, leaving a tugboat on the Mississippi River in the middle of a hitch isn't the same as picking up and leaving most jobs. But he pulled it off. The question is, how was Christian able to leave his boat and get to his apartment in Meridian? And more importantly, why did he make the decision to leave in the first place? To find these answers, I reached out to one of Christian's co-workers, Cheryl Stanley. She and Christian had formed a close bond, and he confided in her. Ray told me that Christian considered Cheryl his mother figure when he was away at work, and he even gave her the nickname Boat Mama. Cheryl was on the boat with Christian when he made plans to disembark on the night of the 25th. My name is Cheryl K. Stanley. I transferred off of one of the boats that was working for Magnolia Marine over to the Captain Barry. I worked with Christian from 2012 to the incident, and he was so full of life and loved to go out and do things and travel. His goal was to be the first youngest captain on the river. His goal was in the next five, six years to be in the wheelhouse. And he was moving up fast because he was a hard worker. Everybody loved him and he loved to learn. There wasn't nothing he wouldn't do for anybody. He's like me, he didn't meet a stranger. He's the one that named me Towboat Mama. <laughs> I was proud of him. Yeah, he made me proud. And a few other of the guys on there, they become real good friends with him. And they started talk, calling me Towboat Mama too. <laughs> and Avery at the time when I first met him was together and he was so happy and then they had a breakup, and then I guess six months, maybe a year later, he ran into Whitley and went downhill from there. He liked her, and then after they started dating a while, she kind of got demanding. He took care of her. She was going to school, she's supposed to be on medication. Supposedly her mama kicked her out. She was supposed to be living with her grandmother. And he helped buy her medication, her school supplies, made sure she had a way back and forth to school. Yeah, they, they lived with Miss, Miss Ray and them for a little while, and she kind of started having problems with Whitley. She was tearing stuff up and pictures that belonged to her that was of Avery and stuff like that. And they got into it, and so Christian went and got them an apartment him and his brother, and then she moved in. And then they got into it. He had kicked her out, is what he told me. They was having problems, big issues, and 
far as I knew, she was supposed to be moved back to her grandmother's. When all this started going down, she had told Christian that she thought she was pregnant. He came to me and asked me about taking out an insurance policy on her in case she would. And I told him until he knew full fact that she was, that I wouldn't do it because she strikes me as a person that is money hungry because she's done got so used to you taking care of her. I still say that's what all this was about because she thought that there was an insurance policy for her and she thought it was a lot of money. Cheryl wasn't the only person Christian talked to about the life insurance policy. Christian also spoke with his father, Todd, about it. Todd informed us that Christian came to him about a month before his final hitch to get his opinion on whether or not he should add Whitley as a beneficiary on his policy. Of course, Todd strongly advised against it, and it was later determined that Christian never added Whitley to the policy, which left his mother, Ray, and his ex-girlfriend, Avery, as the beneficiaries. Now, back to Cheryl, describing what happened the night Christian made plans to get off the boat. Dylan kept calling me later on that night. I know that for a fact, and she wasn't answering his calls, but the only one that he kept talking to was Dylan. They was telling him that she'd only got the car from the garage where it was being worked on, apparently it was fixed. And she was riding around with some, another guy in the vehicle and all kind of stuff like that. And they kept calling and kept calling until the point where he got off the boat. And he went to the captain and told him he was getting off with his permission or without his permission that he needed to go home, that he would be back the next day. He was supposed to be back the next day by crew change, which was at 5.30 p.m. He was going to kick her out. She was already supposed to be out, but apparently she went back after he'd gone to work. He was going home to make sure she got all her stuff out and got the rest of his keys, his car keys, in his car, and he was supposed to come back to work. When I went to bed, he was talking to someone on the phone, and that morning when I got up to come in to cook breakfast, when he had come in there to get him something to drink and a bite to eat real quick, he was telling me that his mom had done kicked his dad and his sister out, and they couldn't get in the apartment unless he was there because the landlord won't let him in until he's there. And I turned around and I looked at him. And I said, Christian, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night, son. And you're talking to the wrong one with a line of shit like that. Because I know better. Don't do something stupid. And I told him to make sure this is what he wanted to do. And there wasn't nothing I could do or say or anybody else on the boat that was going to make him change his mind. And I wish to God every day, to this day, that I could have made him stay, but wasn't no stopping him. Christian had two pistols. One he kept in his vehicle, and the other one he kept in a lockbox under his bed. Where Christian parked his Jeep at, it had been moved. 
and his pistol was gone. But it was supposed to be in a surveillance tape of the parking lot, but at the time, supposedly, it wasn't working. Yes, the Jeep, the Jeep was moved from where Christian had it parked. What I don't understand is when all this went down, no one never once got a hold of us and talked to any of us that was on the boat at the time. Well, what happened was uncalled for and unforgiving. There is no way in hell you'll ever make me believe that Christian would have killed himself. He loved life too much. He loved himself too much. He loved his family too much. Well, I hope and pray to God that this finally does justice and they get what they deserve so his family can rest and get on with their life. Before we move on, I want to point out that the comment Cheryl made about the Jeep being moved and the fact that Christian kept his gun in his Jeep, which it was not found there, may be important. But unfortunately, it's hard to say. Because as Cheryl mentioned, the security cameras and the lot where Christian's Jeep was parked were inoperative. Ray found this out when she requested footage from them. What I can say is that Cheryl is not the only person who knew these things. Obviously, the Angiocchio family was aware that Christian kept his gun in his Jeep. But there was also another co-worker, he wished not to be named, who noticed the Jeep had been moved to a different parking spot, and he also confirmed that Christian kept his pistol in his Jeep, specifically in the driver's side door. So while we do not have security footage to back this, I do think it's worth keeping this information in mind as we continue to work this. So Christian devised a story to get off the boat, and after that, he made arrangements to be picked up and taken to his apartment in Meridian. Christian's boat was set to dock in St. Rose, Louisiana, about four hours from Meridian. His Jeep was parked in the lot where he boarded, hours away in Vicksburg, Mississippi. With no means of making it to the apartment, he called his friend and fellow deckhand, Justin Burns. This brings us to February 26th, just after midnight. I was Christian's green deckhand. He was my mate on on the Catherine Berry. He was my boss, basically. Mine and Christian's lives didn't intertwine, but for just a very brief amount of time, we got attached to each other as friends. It was just, hey, man, me and you's cool from the get-go. He was such an outgoing and overwhelming kind of person. I don't even really know how to explain that. It's something that I wish that I had. Just that he could kind of touch your life in just a brief amount of time. We worked 15 days together. We got really, really close within that 15 days. Closer than I've ever been with anybody else. And then when I went home, you know, after that, that's when uh, that's when everything went sideways. And... uh. Yeah, we get to the to the bad part. Man, I was I was sitting at the house, and it's uh, the house I was living in at the time. Uh, I was in the middle of remodeling it. I just started the new job, you know, and all that, and was getting used to the being gone thirty days at a time stuff. And I, I was working on the house late trying to get it done because I'd been gone this whole time. 
and uh, the phone rang, and uh, I let it ring the first time because I mean, like it's two thirty in the morning, you know, what the hell do they want? Um, we called back again. I answered the phone, and it was Christian's voice, you know, and I said, uh, he said, hey man, I said, what's up, you know? Said it's two thirty in the morning, <laughs> you know, and he said, "Yeah." Uh, he said, "What are you doing?" You know, and, and he had knew that I was working on the house. You know, I mean, we had talked about it. You know, this, and he said, "I figured you'd be up. I need to talk to you." I said, "Okay." Uh, so I walked out on the front porch, and it was it was it was cold as shit that night. And I'm talking about it was freezing. And I was standing there, and I was, I was smoking me a cigarette, you know, and we were just talking. And he said, man, I, I, I need to ask you a favor. And I said, okay. He said, I'm in St. Rose. And he said, I need, you, I need you to come get me. I said, right now? You know, I mean, it's kind of a shock. You know what I mean? I didn't. He said, yeah. I said, well, what's, what's going on with you? You know, what, what's happening? He said, talk to me, you know. And he said, man, it's just, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of tried to give me the same spiel that he gave the office. Some things had come up with his mom and his sister, yada, yada. We were moving kind of fast by this point, you know. He said, "Well, you come get me, you know." And he said, "I need you. I need you to come get me." And I said, "Well, okay. Uh, I'm getting in the truck." So I, I'm I'm getting in the truck. I'm actually checking my oil. I, I, okay, and why I'm checking my oil? I, man, I've never, you know, I just get in the truck and go. You know what I mean? I, for whatever reason, I'm I'm checking the oil in my truck, and I'm putting the dipstick back in, and the phone rings again. You know, so I'm like, "Hey, man, I'm coming." You know what I mean? I was like, "I'm, you know, chill out." You know, I'm coming. He's like, "No, I don't want you to come." And I'm like, and, and this kind of point, you know, I kind of knew, you know, you know, you get just that into, I knew that something was wrong. You know what I mean? I didn't know what was wrong. And I, and I, and I, and I kind of figured that it wasn't what he was telling me was wrong, but something was wrong. And I was, will you please just what, what, what's, what's going on with you? And he's, he, he's like, I don't want you to worry about it. He's like, I, I got somebody coming. And he told me that they owe me money. And he said, so just don't. He said, it's cool, you know, it's fine. He said, I, I know you're at the house, you got kids and all that, you know. And he said, I, I want you to know something. And I was, well, well what is it? And uh, he said, bro, he said, you're one of my best friends. He said, I couldn't call nobody else at 2.30 in the morning for them to come get me. And I, I told him, I said, well, man, you know, you're, you're, you're one of my best friends too, you know? I, I, and I said, I'm more than happy, you know, to, to come get you. No, he said, I, I want you to stay there. And he said, I'll call you. He said, I'll have somebody call you to let you know that I'm, I'm okay. You know, cause I kind of knew that something was iffy. And uh, man, I, I shut the hood on my truck. I walked back in the house, you know, and I laid down in the bed and I went to sleep. And you know the rest. I'd like to know why he wouldn't let me come get him. I believe that he knew that I'd stomp through hell of high water for him. And we might both be laying in a box somewhere, but I mean, at least he would have had some kind of, you know, somebody who cared. That's a question that I'd really like, I'd, I'd love to know, is uh, why'd you tell me to stay?
he deserved way better than the cards he got dealt. He was he was a good dude. He was a he was an excellent dude. When I wish that uh, I wish I would have got more time with him. I really do. Christian canceled plans with Justin because he had someone else who was coming to get him instead. That someone, Dylan Swearingen, who Cheryl said Christian spoke with numerous times on the night of the 25th into the early morning of the 26th. So Dylan left Meridian in the wee hours of the morning to make the long drive to pick up Christian and take him to his apartment. Dylan gave the following statement to Detective Wilburn with the Meridian Police Department. Christian called me at 1.37 a.m. asking if I was able to come pick him up in St. Rose, Louisiana, at a docking bay that his barge had stopped. I told him yes, that I could pick him up. He told me that I needed to be there between 7.45 and 8 a.m. I left my home at 3.45 to 4 a.m. on my way to get him. We exchanged a few phone calls just to touch base, and he asked me where I was or how far from the landing area. After a couple hours or so, I finally reached the destination that he was at. I call him when I arrived, and he said give him a few moments. He came down the hill where I was parked and removed his blue jumpsuit he wore for his work. He said he had left without permission, and security of the place, along with the sheriff, were alerted by him deciding to leave. I have no conclusion on whether he was able to leave or if he just left by self-choice. After we left the destination, I picked him up and we talked like we always have. Nothing was out of the ordinary. We stopped at a gas station and got some drinks and filled my truck up for coming to get him. As we pulled out and got back on the interstate, he began to tell me that him and Whitley were having relationship issues. The issues were regarding another boy hanging out with Whitley while he was gone, and he told me this was the reason for him coming home. Then we continued our route to Meridian, just talking and listening to the radio. We pulled into the apartment complex that he was living at. He noticed the BMW he bought for Whitley was there, and he walked in. He began asking her where she had been because they have a tracker on each other's phones. She spent the night at the boy's house that Christian earlier mentioned. His name is Matt Miller. After asking her multiple questions regarding what she had done, she mentioned the usage of Xanax. She was not sure some of the activity they participated in. He blamed Xanax for her not knowing. I stayed upstairs the majority of the time due to I didn't want to interfere with their argument. I stuck my head over the stairs one moment and heard him saying over and over, Do you love me? After a few times of asking, he pulled his gun out and cocked and stuck it to his head and asked again, Do you love me? She said yes and tried to grab the gun away from him. After a while, things calmed down and we watched a movie. I asked him if he wanted me to go get some food and give them a moment alone. He gave me his debit card and said get some Chick-fil-A and to take all of his money out of his account. I asked him if he was sure and he replied yes. He also broke her phone in an earlier argument. I told him I would take the phone and see if they could fix it. I got the food and he provided me with the banking information, but they said he as the account holder would have to withdraw the money. I came back and everything was fine. We watched another movie. I noticed they were leaving and I said, where are y'all going? He replied, to take a little ride. 
I fell asleep and woke up around two hours later. Whitley was asleep, and Christian was sitting on the couch smoking a cigarette. He acted normal, and I said, I'm about to go to Best Buy and look at some speakers. Do you need anything while I'm out? He replied, no. At an earlier time, after I saw him point the gun to his head, I took the gun from him and placed it behind the curtain because he was acting very aggressive. As I left, I told him I hid it due to his actions and gave it back and told him, unload it and please don't touch it. I left, I made it to Best Buy and talked to the car audio technician. As I walked in, I noticed he wasn't on the couch and I walked around the apartment calling him and got no answer. I walked up the stairs and noticed the bathroom light was on, so I figured he was taking a shower. I knocked and said, are you all right? Still no answer. So I walked downstairs and walked in the room that Whitley was sleeping in. I told her he didn't answer me and that we need to check on him. She went back to sleep and I walked back upstairs and knocked once more. I asked aloud again, Christian, are you okay? He didn't reply, so I opened the door and I saw Christian laying face down across the tub with blood in it. I yelled, Whitley Christian is dead. We have to call 911. And she screamed and ran upstairs and began holding him. And then I called 911 and directed them to the apartment. And the police arrived and took control of the scene and asked us to sit in the living room. So that's Dylan's statement. Now on to Whitley, who gives a much shorter and very different version of what happened. Here's Whitley's statement given to Detective Thompson with the Meridian Police Department. Saturday the 22nd, also the day Christian left out for work at 5 a.m., that night I went to a Mardi Gras party with my family. He stopped talking to me starting at 1 the day he left, for two days. He has always had trust issues, and when I eventually got in touch with him, he said he would rather me be at home missing him and didn't want me going out from past issues we had without him. I contemplated breaking up with him and tried to convince myself we could work things out because a relationship without trust isn't a relationship. And we tried for so long to build up trust and be normal, but I love him. Last night, the 25th, he said he was coming home and quitting his job. I told him we could talk it out and there were some things we needed to work on before we could move on with our relationship. Today, he came home early. He wanted to take a ride with me. We went to Bonita and he just said he felt like, between me and his mom, he couldn't make anyone happy. I laid down with my dog in our bedroom. Dylan, the guy who picked him up from work, woke me up. I went upstairs and found the love of my life, face down, swooshed up into a puddle of blood. Dylan and Whitley's statements are all we have to explain what happened on the 26th, up until the time MPD arrived on scene. After a thorough review of the MPD report, along with some documents Ray shared with me, I began noticing some inconsistencies. I want to share a few. The first relates to the theory of the Jeep being moved that I mentioned earlier. Dylan told MPD he went straight from St. Rose, Louisiana to Meridian, Mississippi. No mention of Vicksburg, where the Jeep was parked. But around the time of all this, Ray took a screenshot of a post from Dylan's Twitter account. It's dated February 26, 2014, 4.57 a.m. And it says, Meridian to New Orleans, to Vicksburg, then back to Meridian before lunch. Maybe there was a change of plans. 
Or maybe he didn't tell MPD the whole story, and there's a reason the Jeep was moved, and the gun was missing from it. Another thing to consider, though, is that if they'd stopped at the Jeep, why would Christian not just drive it home at that point? The second inconsistency I noticed. Remember Dylan's story about Christian putting the gun to his head and asking Whitley, do you love me? I imagine that would have been a pretty traumatic experience for her. And it would have just occurred hours before police were taking statements and doing their questioning. But hear this exchange between Detective Thompson and Whitley, documented in the report. Detective Thompson asks, has Christian ever talked about hurting himself? Whitley's response, I don't think so. If Whitley answered no, it would certainly be alarming, and that it would totally contradict Dylan's story. But she answered, I don't think so. Even if Dylan made up his story, how could you be uncertain whether the man you claim to love ever mentioned hurting himself? And if Dylan's story is true, how do you fail to mention that in your own statement? And here's one more inconsistency. Whitley tells MPD that Christian was quitting his job and coming home so they could try and work things out in the relationship. But that doesn't seem to be true whatsoever. Christian's brother Josh and Cheryl Stanley, who you heard from earlier, both knew why he was going home. And they say it was to end the relationship with Whitley once and for all. He planned to get his belongings back and kick her out of the apartment. And sure, you could look at that and say, well, maybe he'd implied it was over, but then had a change of heart. Or maybe they're assuming that because the relationship was already rocky and this seemed to have sent him over the edge. To be honest, I questioned it initially. That was until I saw the acquired text conversation between Whitley and Matt Miller, the guy she was with the night of the 25th. A conversation that took place right before Christian arrived at the apartment. Here's a reading of the text. February 26, 11am. Hey, Christian is kicking me out. I need you to come get me, please. I went to work. Please, I have nowhere to go. Call I really can't leave now. After last night, you can't leave? It's a job. I was already late. I swear I would, but I can't. Did I say your name last night? No, why? Because I normally do. Dull old boy. What do you mean? I don't remember shit from last night. Nothing? What I take from this is that she knew exactly why Christian was coming home. She just chose not to tell MPD the truth. Just the same as she failed to mention anything about Matt in her statement. I could go on, but the point here is Whitley and Dylan's statements about what happened on February 26th are highly problematic but their statements were just the start of the inconsistencies, as the information that surfaced in the days that followed would be what really started shedding light on the potential of foul play. Next time on Culpable. The next day, we go to Christian's apartment during the day. We went upstairs. There was things in the bathroom that, you know, just didn't didn't look right. There was no blood splatter on the walls. There was no blood splatter on the inside of the walls of the bathtub. There was nothing on the back of the door. There was a hole beside the light switch that the police department brushed away saying that that was a ricochet. But the gun supposedly was found on Christian's left-hand side, which he was right-handed. And it was decopped. And that particular type of pistol 
doesn't decock itself. Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper. Executive producers are Jacob Bozarth, Mark Mennery, Dennis Cooper, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Additional production by Whitney Bozarth, Courtney Cooper, Meredith Stedman, and Mason Lindsay. Audio editing and sound design by Resonate Recordings. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme music and score is by Dirt Poor Robbins, cover art by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcast. Show notes as well as bonus content can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University of Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University Maryland's forensic science programs today.